Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode two of the Average to Elite podcast. And I'm your host, Chris Lowe from Chris Lowe Nutrition. And today we are going to cover the muscle fundamentals. So this is very much going to be following on from last week, where we looked at the five most common mistakes athletes make when it comes to dropping body fat uh, without um, sacrificing or compromising their performance. So today, with the muscle fundamentals, this essentially is going to be looking at muscle building and or muscle growth. So there's three key areas that we need to look at. So first of all, being your training, uh, second will be on your protein, third being your calories, and then we're going to wrap up nicely and going to give you the uh, recommendations in terms of putting your own diet plan together so you can continue building muscle. So what I like to say with um, these three key areas is that if one of them is not on point, then it's very much going to be really limiting to your success with regards to muscle growth. So the whole purpose of today's episode is just to make sure that you have the right knowledge to go away and implement this into your plan of action. Um, now, when it comes to the training side of things, I'll be getting guests on in the near future that have far more expertise in this area. So I'm very much just going to give you an overview with regards to this. But from the protein and the calorie perspective, we'll be going into that in a little bit more detail. So without further ado, into today's episode. So first of all, like I mentioned, training. So one of the questions I get commonly asked is, Chris, what's the most important thing for building muscle? Is it my training or is it my nutrition? Um, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but it is not your nutrition. Your training is the most important thing when it comes to building muscle. This is the stimulus you need to cause an adaptation. What we do from the nutrition side of things is look to amplify this training adaptation. So I always use the dimmer switch analogy here. So think of uh, your adaptation as the response you get from a weight training session. So that's almost like the dimmer switch being turned around maybe 25-50%. What we look to do from nutrition perspective, so both the calorie and protein intake is trying to dial our switch all the way around so we can maximize this adaptation. Now, when we talk about adaptation, we're talking about increases in muscle protein synthesis. So muscle protein synthesis is the process at which we create new muscle tissue. So everything we're trying to do here is basically just ramp that up uh, to get a better response. So what's good about the nutrition side of things is that we can essentially do the same amount of work in the gym, we can put in the same effort, lift the same load, but just by manipulating your nutrition, so protein and calories, we can get better results. So, which is obviously very, very cool and very beneficial uh, for every athlete out there. So from the training side of things, um, we know that your training volume load is gonna be the most important thing to drive muscle growth and adaptation. So your training volume load is essentially the weight to lift times the reps times the sets. So as long as you focus on improving this one shape or form on a weekly or monthly basis, i.e. progressive overload, you're gonna be heading in the right direction. However, what I see a lot uh, is in, well, essentially in elite athletes with very high sports specific training demands or competition schedules is that sometimes this isn't always 
possible. So it's a case of asking when is the best time in your year, in your periodized sort of calendar to do this. As you know, most athletes would have a off-season, a pre-season and in-season. So, you know, I work with Wasp Rugby, so obviously a lot of rugby players. And looking at our sort of yearly schedule, we really have to sort of think about when is the best time to actually do this. So when is the best time to chase this goal? So say, for example, if, you know, they're playing on a Saturday at three o'clock in the afternoon, um, they're going to be very much sore and beaten up sort of Sunday, Monday. And realistically, they're only going to get effective training sessions in maybe two, uh, so like, yeah, like a Wednesday, so Tuesday, Wednesday, perhaps even a Thursday, maybe. And then they're straight into game day preparation on a Friday. And obviously they're playing against Saturday. So realistically, they may be getting two decent gym sessions in there, maybe like a power session or something. So realistically, is in-season going to be the best time to chase this goal and really looking at maximizing muscle mass? By all means, they can still build throughout the season with some form of stimulus there, but it's going to be far from optimal. So if you're, if you're say, a rugby player and you need to put on 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 kilos, you know, yes, you can make some progress during in-season, but the bulk of the work is going to be done in your off and your pre-season. Um, and realistically, like it's just not overly possible in season to build that much if you're going to be a rugby player. Um, you know, you might have knocks, niggles in your shoulders or something, and therefore I can't do any upper body weights, and therefore you can only train lower, and that's going to maximize uh, muscle mass potential and stuff as well. So the real question is, is like when is the best time to do this? So I'm a big fan of looking at your whole year and you know scheduling this stuff in. So it was like, right, this is the competition schedule. Realistically, am I going to be able to main, um, maximize muscle growth during this phase? Probably not. Uh, I could definitely maintain or make slight improvements, but the bulk of my improvement is going to come in off-season and pre-season. So this is why it's really, really, really important not to waste these opportunities if your goal is to primarily build muscle mass because uh, that's where you're going to get the best bang for your buck. So... From the training side of things, just think when is the best time to do this? Because we know that if you're a trained individual anyway, you're going to probably need higher volumes or perhaps higher intensities to create a, an additional stimulus uh, once you get over this like newbie gains kind of phase. And we know with more volume you get uh, and more intensity, you can impair recovery and therefore you have more fatigue and not going to be as fresh going into your game or competition on the weekend. So a big thing here, take home, um, it really is your weight training is the number one important thing as a stimulus to drive adaptation. But when is it the best time to do this throughout your year? You know, if you're just a you know recreational athlete, don't have a huge amount of competitions throughout the year, um, you're just a regular gym goer, you know, you can train throughout the year. You don't have specific phases to your year, i.e. off-season, pre-season, in-season. Uh, but for, say, the elite athletes who have uh, very high competition demands and sort of uh, sports-specific training sessions, realistically, you're not going to be building much in-season. So just think about the bigger picture and where can you do this. Now, if you have big long-term goals where you have to put on maybe upwards of like 10 kilos, this is a long-term thing. This is only is not going to do this in a pre-season, in an off-season. It's just not realistic. You're probably looking for a few seasons to actually accrue this type of muscle. So when it comes to the protein side of things, 
as I mentioned uh, with the training, the whole idea is to increase muscle protein synthesis. And this again is the process at which we build muscle. Now there's two ways really we can increase muscle protein synthesis. First of all, by weight training, second of all, by your dietary protein intake. So the idea is to follow a higher pro protein diet in order to maximize this. So there's always going to be a lot of conversation of how much protein do I need per day. And when I look at this, I really look at or readdress the question of how much protein do you need every meal? Because when we know we have, if we have enough protein within a meal, we will essentially stimulate muscle protein synthesis. It's almost like a ceiling effect. So you need to have enough in a meal to hit this threshold. And once you've hit this threshold, the body will then switch on enzymes responsible for building your muscle tissue. So the whole idea here is to have enough protein every single meal to switch on this enzyme responsible for building muscle and therefore you have more stimulations in muscle protein synthesis throughout the day. So this is somewhat of the argument of um, if it fits your macros and stuff like that, I'll just focus on my total daily intake. Now, if you say you need 200 grams of protein a day and you have all that in one sitting, so you just have one meal per day, um, realistically, you're only really going to utilize probably the first 30 to 40 grams of that protein where the rest will most likely be get converted to glucose or excreted. So the whole idea is to make better use of that protein. You're going to flip it on its side and chop it up. So you're going to have perhaps that 200 grams of protein, hypothetically split into perhaps four to five meals or snacks. Now, this is what perhaps is the optimal approach uh, to build muscle through dietary protein is essentially just having enough protein with every meal and therefore you have more stimulations in muscle protein synthesis as a result. Now, when we look at uh, the amounts, I mentioned perhaps 30 to 40 grams or so on, uh, where specifically, or to get into like the numbers, which is uh, relative to your body weight, um, you're looking about some 0.4 grams of protein per kilogram that you weigh per meal. So if you weigh 100 kilos, just to keep the math simple, you're looking about 40 grams of protein every single meal. Now, we say about 0.4 grams per kilogram that you weigh. Um, essentially, that's going to cover a wide variety of protein sources because not all protein sources are created equal. Some are going to be very rich in essential amino acids that's needed to drive muscle growth, where some are going to be very poor uh, quality protein sources with lower amounts of essential amino acids. Now, when we look at amino acids, so there's about 20 or so uh, different ones out there within protein. And the one we're really looking at and have a key focus for is the amino acid leucine. So we know leucine is also coined as like the anabolic trigger, which is a pretty cool name. Um, and when we have enough leucine within a protein source, then you can stimulate muscle protein synthesis as a result. And that's why we just say about you know, 0.4 grams per kilogram, because if you just have most protein sources um, that in that quantity, you'll naturally have enough leucine, and therefore you'll naturally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So this would be the idea of perhaps four um, you know, meals of 0.4 grams per kilogram that you weigh. Uh, so if that 100 kilo rugby player, for example, it'd be breakfast about 40 grams, lunch 40, mid-afternoon 40, evening meal 40 grams, 
and then probably going to need a higher protein dose before you go to bed, about 0.6 gram per kilo, just because we can keep muscle protein synthesis elevated throughout the night. So therefore, you'd have a higher protein dose of like 60 grams for that 100 kilo example. So when we add all those 0.4s and 0.6 up, you're going to have this rough area of about 2.2 grams per kilogram per day. Um, but this is... Um, this is again the reason why I look at, you know, protein with every meal as opposed to your total daily intake. On the face value of it, yes, just have between two to two point five grams per kilogram that you weigh uh, per day. So again, if you're hundred kilos, between two hundred and two hundred fifty grams of protein. Um, but again, I'm not the biggest fan of this. Like, if it fits your macros approach of just having two hundred fifty grams of protein to maximize muscle growth, research has shown we need to be a little bit wiser with it and perhaps evenly distribute this throughout the day one of the reasons why we look at having your protein evenly distributed uh, is not because uh, you can't you know digest it all or anything research has shown that if you have more than 30 to 40 grams of protein in a single meal you will digest it all you perhaps just won't utilize it all so there's a big difference between those two terms there like you probably you know if you just had a, a huge steak like you know a big sort of 20 ounce steak or something, you know, you still absorb and digest all the proteins and amino acids within that uh, steak, but you just won't utilize it all. And when we think of the timing of everything, when I say evenly distribute, uh, it's mainly because this term called a refractory period. So when we have protein, and like I said, we stimulate muscle protein synthesis, it's almost like flicking a switch. So you have protein, you flick the switch, and the switch stays on for maybe three to four hours or so, and then it switches off. So the idea is to have another protein meal to switch this switch back on. It turns on, stays on for three to four hours, and then switches off. Then another protein meal to switch it back on, and so on. So that's why this timing side of thing is going to be pretty important, having it every three to four hours to keep that switch continually switched on. And perhaps what researchers sort of alluded to as well is if we have protein within this period while the switch is still on, this was called like the muscle full effect, um, is not going to further enhance muscle protein synthesis despite having more amino acids in your blood. So sometimes more is not more and, you know, have enough protein with every meal is probably going to be the number one priority that we look at here. Um, a second sort of question I get or a little bit of a misconception here is the post-exercise anabolic window of opportunity where many think that you need to have protein immediately after you finish training otherwise uh, you'll just like lose all your gains and the gym session is rendered like um, ineffective really and a bit void where this really isn't the case um, and I really love this um, term coined by Brad Schoenfeld where he said the anabolic window isn't really a window it's more like a barn door so once we know, once we've subjected the muscle to a load, i.e. weight training, uh, muscle protein synthesis is, you know, and the uptake of protein to that muscle is sensitized for about 24 to 48 hours. So from that perspective, um, this like urgent window, you know, again, it's a very long period. We don't have to finish the gym, get it protein shake in before you go for a shower. You know, you can, you know, finish your gym session, you can probably drive home and then you can have some form of protein within a meal. The urgency isn't really there. Um, 
that being said, when we look at the refractory period, like I mentioned in my last point, and eating probably every three to four hours, you know, if you naturally have some form of protein before you train, perhaps like in a pre-training snack, um, and then you train for like an hour, and then, you know, you finish your session, drive home, have a meal, which may take like an hour, you know, you're naturally going to be eating every three to four hours. So therefore your pre and post training uh, meals would generally be pretty high in protein. So we're looking at the timing of protein, not because of the anabolic window of opportunity. We're looking at it to keep this uh, muscle protein switch uh, switched on. So we know that muscle protein synthesis can be elevated throughout the day and maximize your training adaptation. So uh, long story short with this, you don't necessarily have to finish a gym session, neck in a protein shake, and then get home 60 minutes later and have another meal. You can really just knock the protein shake on the head and finish a gym session and therefore just get home, have a meal. Um, if you're training first thing in the morning, so you know the early birds in the room here. So if you train like say half five, six, uh, and you don't really calmly stomach anything before you train, um, therefore, you know, the post-training period is actually quite important to get protein in because you really haven't had protein for, you know, quite a few hours because you've been sleeping, obviously. So that's when I would only really suggest, like, the urgency of protein after a meal is if you've been training fasted first thing. But um, for most of us who train, you know, after a meal, uh, there isn't really any urgency there to get some form of protein in. But if you want to maximize muscle growth, you'd still be looking at eating protein uh, perhaps every three to four hours. Um, and I guess the final point with, I guess, this uh, post-anabolic window here is the need to have carbohydrates. So it's a big um, misconception, again, of you need to have large amounts of carbohydrates or sugar uh, to spike insulin after your training session, where this really isn't the case either where we know that uh, if you just have some form of protein and leucine within that protein source and higher concentrations, this is very insulinogenic as well. So just having this increases insulin and therefore puts us in a positive protein balance and therefore, you know, is adequate to build muscle. The only reason why I'd suggest having carbohydrates after a training session is that perhaps um, start the recovery process in terms of glycogen replenishment. So that's just kind of a pragmatic sort of um, nutrient to have there. But I will never suggest having carbohydrates post-training to further stimulate muscle growth is not really the case. And research has shown this, you know, once you've had adequate amount of protein in the meal, uh, after a training session, whether you have added carbohydrates and zero carbohydrates, the outcome in muscle protein synthesis and muscle growth is exactly the same. So you really don't need to have loads of carbohydrates in here. So if you, for example, didn't have urgent recovery demands in terms of glycogen replenishment, you didn't have to be fully refueled and fresh for like your next session within a 24-hour period, you can kind of just eat your carbohydrates uh, when you want to. Uh, this is very much personal preference. But if you, say, had a, a morning gym session and then you're going into a you know, sports-specific session after like a field session in rugby or, you know, if you're doing like some running later in the afternoon or something and you're using roughly the same muscle groups, that's when your carbohydrate intake after your training session would be very important. But it's more, again, for the performance and the refueling side of it, not necessarily the muscle building side of it.
once your protein and training is on point, we can then look at the third point, which is going to be your calorie intake. And as I mentioned at the start, if one of these three things isn't on point, then this is going to be rate limiting for your success with regards to muscle growth. So what I see a lot of uh, people do is either they don't eat enough calories or they eat too much or too many calories and really try and force feed muscle growth. I've been in this scenario uh, quite a few times uh, where I perhaps didn't learn very well initially. Um, where I just try and force feed muscle growth and just end up putting on a lot of body fat, which we know is not going to provide superior rates of muscle growth or anything. Um, You're just going to get pretty fat, and as I did, um, which uh, I'll probably share these stories with you at some point, but no time for today. Um, But just trust me, you're doing a force feed muscle growth. Uh, From the athlete's perspective, you know, if you are trying to uh, gain muscle mass and you force feed it and put on a lot of body fat, it's going to absolutely ruin your power to weight ratio. Um, you know, you're going to be slower. You can be pretty much turning like a tugboat. Um, you know, your agility is going to go uh, repeated effort. So your work capacity is going to go south, your acceleration, your top end speed, um, you know, your jumps, your counter movement jumps, all that kind of stuff is going to get worse. So there's no point putting on 10 kilos of weight if two kilos of that is muscle, you know, you're just not going to be able to handle this higher amounts of load, essentially. So we definitely do not want to force feed muscle growth. Um, what a lot of athletes uh, will ask me, and many coaches as well, is can an athlete um, build muscle and drop body fat at the same time? And the answer there is absolutely, they 100% can. Uh, the question is, can they do it optimally? No, they can't. Uh, but can they do it? Yes, for sure. So we know that um, you can build muscle in a calorie deficit. Um, you can definitely do this uh, far better in some scenarios than others. So, for example, if you've never been to the gym before and you step into the weight room, the muscles are very like sensitized and primed to build, even in a calorie deficit. So uh, you can definitely build under this scenario. Like if you haven't trained before, you will grow with any kind of stimulus. Um, so yes, this is how hap- this is possible under this scenario. You can also uh, build muscle in the calorie deficit if you've been injured. So, for example, if you've I don't know, say done your ACL or some horrible injury like that, and you know if you've been in the cast with muscle um, disuse, you're going to get um, yeah, basically like muscle wastage, and therefore it almost like is sensitized to rebuild at a faster rate when you get back despite being in a calorie deficit. So you could definitely do it from us now. And the third one really is a case of if perhaps you haven't really been training that well. Um, you know, you're just being like training low intensities, low volumes, and you actually get onto a progressive periodized weight training program. And this is like a new stimulus and you almost get your newbie gains again. This is when you can build muscle and calorie deficit too. Um, and I guess the final sort of bonus point, if you do take performance enhancing drugs, which I obviously do not recommend, uh, you can actually build significant amounts of muscle there because uh, they are like, um, it's just basically just a miracle. So, <laughs> Um, so in terms of like trained individuals trying to build muscle in the calorie deficit, um, 
for no you definitely maintain you might build a little bit but i really don't recommend trying to go down both avenues um purely because it's not going to be overly effective and you're probably going to spin in your wheels quite a bit and not really see um much progress in any way shape or form so i'd rather you know set two goals of trying to maintain body fat as best as possible and let's just focus on a higher calorie protein building muscle or let's focus at maintaining muscle mass and let's drop in body fat I tend to go in one or two directions just because you have better clarity uh, with regards to your plan of action. Otherwise, you know, you get kind of confused and there's mixed messages sometimes. So um, the way I look to do it is, yes, we do need a calorie surplus for trained individuals, especially elite athletes, in order to build muscle, but we definitely can't force feed it. And when it comes to the amount of this calorie surplus that we need, it's very much dependent on uh, too many things in basically your training status. So are you a trained individual? So you've got a decent amount of weight training experience or are you a complete newbie to the gym? If you're a complete newbie to the gym, you're going to be building muscle at a much faster rate and therefore protein turnovers at a much faster rate. Uh, therefore, you need more calories uh, or you can handle more calories than say a trained individual uh, without putting on body fat where when you look at the research as well is when they have elite uh, Olympic-based athletes trying to go on a higher-calorie diet, um, they don't build muscle any faster than someone at calorie maintenance. Um, but what they do is actually put on body fat because protein turnover, so muscle building is at a slower rate, and therefore the extra calories that they put into their body isn't used to further facilitate muscle growth, and it just gets stored. So generally speaking, when we look at these two populations is that if you're an amateur athlete or you know you're like a junior athlete for example coming up through the academies and looking to build a muscle yes we can actually be a bit more aggressive with the calorie surplus here because your body can handle it and use those extra calories and energy um to drive muscle growth where if you're an elite athlete we need to be more conservative with the calorie surplus just because you're more of a trained individual and Therefore, these extra calories are just going to go to body fat. And like we said, it's going to absolutely ruin your power to weight ratio here. So in terms of putting numbers to this, um, I would generally say if you're a complete um, newbie to everything, uh, we can handle calories at a higher amount. You're looking about, say, a 10 to 20 percent um, calorie surplus. And I would probably veer on the higher end of that. I'd probably put in a 20 percent surplus. So say, for example, you maintain your body weight on 3000 calories a day you probably push it up to about 3,600 just so you have enough energy available to build muscle. And uh, for like newbies as well, you know, this is a prime prime opportunity and environment for you to build. So, you know, we don't restrict calories in this period. We're going to sort of maximize what we do here. Um, where if you are, say, a trained individual, probably, you know, 5 to 10% of a surplus is all you really need. Um, otherwise, you're probably just going to be putting on body fat. But... As we know, that calorie intake can be rate limiting to muscle growth. So I'd much rather you have a little bit on the higher side just to make sure you're not in a calorie deficit and you are eating enough um, because we know that muscle building is a very slow process where fat loss is actually very quite a rapid process. So we can pull body fat back down maybe one to two weeks where building muscle, you're looking at months to years to actually build significant amounts. Um, so when I work with my athletes now, I very much set the goal of trying to achieve an increase in body weight by 0.5 to 1% per month. And I appreciate that sounds very small, but realistically, that's what we're looking for. You know, that 100 kilo sort of player is looking 
0.5 to 1 kilo increase per month. But if you could do this over the course of quite a few months and therefore quite a few years, you know, you could put on a considerable amount of muscle in that time. And I appreciate that muscle growth is never linear. You know, you're not going to put on one kilo a month every month for the next 10 years. You know, it will slow down and you will have months where you're not probably getting anything, um, whether that's through competition or so on. So competition schedule, so I say. Um, so yeah, that they're basically like the recommendations I look at. Perhaps uh, newbies or lifters can look at a little bit higher, maybe uh, 1 to 1.5% gain in body weight per month. Uh, but when you're looking at, say, these programs are promising a new, you know, pack on 10 kilos of muscles in 10 weeks, um, it is not possible unless you are taking some pharmaceutical aids. Uh, even in that, you know, it's going to be a big push to do that. And if you realistically think how much 10 kilos of muscle is, it is a phenomenal amount of muscle to be building. And, you know, sometimes just with your goal setting, you just need to be realistic of what's achievable. Um, and therefore, you know, you can set a plan accordingly. What I don't need to do is think you're going to put on 10 kilos in 10 weeks and not achieve that and you lose momentum and you drop off and you don't make any results because, you know, you no longer go to the gym or no longer prioritize it. This is just a very patient uh, process. And then the final point on the calorie side of things is be ready to adjust. So we know that um, for many people, um, when you put more calories into your diet, your body will try and speed its metabolic rate up to preserve your leanness. So something known as your NEAT, so your non-exercise activity thermogenesis will go up. So this is like your fidgeting, your step count and stuff like that. I know personally when I have high amounts of calories, um, I can't sit still. I'm always like fidgeting and this is my body subconsciously make me move to preserve leanness. And this has been shown in some studies as well where they've overfed individuals by about a thousand calories a day and 800 to a thousand, I believe it was. And, you know, two thirds of that was dissipated through, you know, fidgeting. They didn't store it. They only stored about a third of those extra calories. So when we're looking at, say, the formulas and stuff, and if you need about 3,000 calories to maintain per day, you think, okay, 3,000 calories times 10%, add that on. Um, okay, I need 3,300. But because you know your body can be adapted to this, it might just increase its metabolic rate, and all of a sudden you're maintaining on 3,300 calories. So you're no, now, now no longer in a calorie surplus, so you need to add a little bit more in. So you just need to drip feed it periodically over the first perhaps couple of weeks to find where that tipping point is, where you're perhaps out of a calorie maintenance and your body weight is heading in the right direction, which is indicative of a small calorie surplus. Um, so some people will adapt more to this than other. Depends on perhaps the, shall we say, your genetics or phenotype here. And it's a term known as, um, say, thrifty or spendthrift metabolisms. So if you've got like a spendthrift metabolism, these are coined as perhaps your hard gainers, um, where if you introduce more calories, their metabolism will just go through the roof and they end up burning off. Where if you've got more of a thrifty metabolism, uh, you probably don't need as much of a calorie surplus uh, because your body's just not going to adapt in that sense. Um, these are the people who perhaps you know when they say, uh, I struggle to put on, uh, sorry, I struggle to lose weight, have a slow metabolism. Those types of people um, may not need a high, high calorie surplus when it comes to uh, building muscle. But again, it's always a case of 
use the numbers as a starting point and then adjust accordingly based on your progression nothing set in stone and that's why it's really important to have, be working with someone just so they can look at things objectively and say like right this is where you started this is where we are now this is what you've done have you made progress yes no what we need to do to change the plan of action so when it comes to actually coming to building your own diet uh, we know obviously we spoke about today that protein is pretty important we spoke about calories being pretty important and your weight training so when it comes to the other things we need to look at is perhaps your macronutrients ratio, so your fats and your carbohydrates, you know, what happens with this? So when it comes to building the diet in terms of the numbers, we are looking at that protein, about four meals or snacks, about 0.4 grams per kilogram per meal, uh, plus another meal before you go to bed, about 0.6. So that's going to give us a range of about, well, um, yeah, it range about 2 to 2.5 gram per kilo, where that model there works out to about 2.2 gram per kilo. So I look at focusing on that first. Your fat intake, we're then going to factor in next, about 1 gram per kilo. Um, but some people struggle to hit a higher calorie intake. Uh, therefore, we'll bump that up to perhaps 1.5 gram per kilo, where some people just love eating carbohydrates. So we're going to go low uh, lower fat, we say, about low end, about 0.5 gram per kilo for guys, 0.7, 0.75 for um, females. Uh, and then the rest of the calories we have, we're just going to fill up with carbohydrates. And this is um, very much depends on you know your activity levels. So I know one of the rugby players I was working with uh, in Wasp over the last preseason, I know 100 kilo winger, he was pushing about you know 800 grams of carbohydrates a day on hard training days, and he's still in the calorie deficit. So with him, we really had to think, right, we can't actually get more carbohydrates than you because you just can't eat that much. So let's try bring, bringing up your uh, dietary fat to about 1.5 to 2 grams per kilo, and therefore he can hit a higher calorie intake and be in a small calorie surplus to facilitate muscle growth. Um so we know the calories absolutely king. Once you've got them and your protein intake, you know, ideally we go for a lower fat, higher carb approach. But generally speaking, it is just personal preference here. Um, the reason why we look at higher carbohydrates here is mainly uh, to just fuel performance and make sure our training performance is good. And therefore we get to the gym fresh, we can lift the necessary load to create a stimulus and therefore build muscle. So say for example, they went on a, an athlete went on a low fat, sorry, a low carbohydrate, high fat diet, and they're doing uh, very glycolytic um, exercises, so like weight training, sprints, everything like that. Then the tanks are going to empty very quickly, and therefore they can't maintain their performance, and therefore they could be flagging a bit when they go into the gym, can't lift that load, can't stimulate the muscle, and therefore do not actually build any muscle as a result. Um, and then the final point, uh, which always comes into the muscle building argument, is supplements. So what supplements can I take to build muscle? So I love this quote. You know, if it works, it's banned. And if it's not banned, it doesn't work. So it's very true that saying when it comes to muscle building supplements. So all the stuff that's proven to work to build muscle is banned. Um, these are known as steroids. Um, supplements that aren't banned, you know, the test boosters and all that kind of stuff, um, they do not work. There's no research to suggest that. And that's why they're not banned because they're just, you know, ineffective. Um, so all the supplements out there we use 
uh, basically to indirectly inf- uh, build muscle. So when I say indirectly, it just essentially they're used to enhance your gym performances. So you go there and therefore you perform better and then build muscle as a result of increased training volume and work done. So it's not directly having an f- effect on the muscle, it's having an effect on your training performance to then have an impact on muscle. And these are things like, you know, your caffeine, your creatine, your beta alanine, perhaps things like um, citrulline malate, if you're doing more high intensity based stuff for lower sort of rest durations. So they're the type of stuff I look at doing um, when it comes to um, supplementation side of things. But, you know, they are going to do absolutely nothing unless you have the first three things that we covered today uh, absolutely locked in. So your training, your protein, and your calorie intake. And like I said, if one of those three things are rate limiting, so if one of those three things are not on point, it's going to be rate limiting for your progression in muscle growth. So I hope that clarifies quite a few things with regards to the muscle fundamentals. Uh, if you have any questions or queries, I'd love to hear from you. And if you found this episode useful, please comment below, uh, share, and don't forget to subscribe. Uh, until next time, I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and I will uh, see you next week.